Hello, welcome to B2B Revenue Leaders. I'm your host, Dustin Tizek. So today's a bit of a throwback episode. Uh, we're actually reposting episode two, which was with Belel from Death to Fluff. Really the reason for posting this is a lot of stuff that he says in this episode is just really relevant right now. And I wanted to bump this one back up to the top of your podcast feed. So in this episode, Bilal discusses how indecision is the leading cause of lost deals and what you can do about it, how to use provocation to cut through the noise and battle indecision, and why it's so important to go back to basic human instinct when crafting your messaging. Hey, welcome to B2B Revenue Leaders. Uh, so today I'm here with Bilal from Death to Fluff. How's it going? Hey. How's your day? I'm very well, Dustin. Thanks for having me on the show, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. I mean, I'm a newish role here, VP of Revenue, former marketer. So I'll be jotting notes and, and getting some sales tips from you here for sure. Um, I, I want to dive right into it. So the first thing that stood out to me on your LinkedIn was your little audio note, right? Right, right at the top where you say, quota achievements down, rep tenures down, turnovers up, it's time for change. Like what's causing that and what needs to change? Yeah, you know, and uh, I mean... I think in my sales career that I've done better when I've been just a realist than an optimist. And yeah. I think a lot of sellers, maybe they try to psych themselves into believing things are going great when they're not. And I found elite sellers don't do that at all. They're very real, very pragmatic in their approach, very ruthless with their time. And if I apply that to the sales profession at large, I see the same kind of symptoms like there's a lot of sales bro culture and excitement and things of that nature that happens maybe internally in a sales org. But in reality, if you look at the state of sales across all these different reports, like that come out from outreach and sales loft and bridge group and so on, key metrics in sales have been declining and like consistently declining for the last half decade. Like, like the ones you listed, rep turnover, quota attainment, buyer satisfaction, number of touches that a rep has to do to get meaningful engagement. All these metrics are trending in the wrong direction. And it's like the state of sales and, and these, these reports typically aren't SaaS specific. So it's not like you could say, oh, this is something happening in SaaS. Like this is manufacturing. This is pharma. This is like across the board, transcending space and time. Yeah. It, it, there's failure. Like, and there's a decline in the sales profession. So the question becomes, well, why? Especially when it, like for me, the, the kind of the, the golden indicators that it's not, it's not industry specific. So that must be something universally flawed in what's happening in sales today. And if you look at the commonalities of sales, no matter what you sell or who you sell to, there's some very common things like quota. Quota is like a baseline of every seller's existence. There's things like um, uh, activity metrics that are being tracked. There's yep. things around, um, you know, pr pressures around uh, commissions and revenue and, and some of the gamesmanship that companies do around those sort of things. All of that are the kind of common causes of, or sort of the underlying issues. And those symptoms are what we're seeing in the state of sales reports. Those aren't, that's not the cause, right? There's something underlying going on at sales where what we were doing before simply isn't working anymore. <laughs> like it, it's become less effective. And if everybody's going to keep trying to do it the same way that they did 10, 20 years ago, it's clearly not going to work. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that is literally a definition of insanity, right? It's just trying the same thing over and over again. And I think we're seeing that in marketing as well, in the marketing community with like this demand gen push and, you know, switching away from just spam some Google ads and, you know, run a bunch of campaigns and stuff that doesn't really work long-term. So I know, you know, you're, your whole angle here and what you believe in is death to fluff. So what, 
what is the fluff that is really causing this? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a, it's a broad question. It's one of those ones where we'd love there to be like one or two really simple answers to it all. But in reality, yeah. it's, it's like 50 different answers that all fractionally add up to the total. But I'll, I'll share some of the, the bigger ones that people should be contemplating where they could make hopefully a substantial shift. What, one is just the way buyer preferences work now. Um, the reality is, and, and actually Matt Dixon just released his, his jolt method or jolt effect book. And it talks about indecision. And one of the things that he talks about is um, indecision versus status quo bias and how people buy. For the longest time, we've just been programmed as marketers, as sellers, to sell against the status quo. And that's true. And that's still valid. Nothing has changed there. But now there's this additional layer of indecision that happens because in the last three years, the amount of people involved in buying something has gone up. Mm -hmm. People can't make straight up decisions. Now, this is not universally applicable. Like there's still plenty of stuff you could sell to, to, to a single decision maker, but in general, there seems to be a trend in the number of people involved in buying, purchasing, or buying and purchasing decisions. Yeah. That's number one. And number two, because there's more people involved, there's more misinformation or confusion that, ha that happens with that because everybody has their own opinion and perspective when they get involved into a buying decision. And that convolutes and clouds judgment and makes things and eventually reach a point where sometimes indecision wins the deal. Mm -hmm. Like people are sold that the status quo shouldn't work anymore, that they need to change, but to change to what is too hard of a decision to make. So they defer, they defer, they defer. And so if you, if you really want to make an impact, those are the two things I would say you need to realize. Number one, the amount of people involved in decision has gone up. And number two, the amount of like confusion that happens because of that has gone up and buyers and marketers that can navigate that indecision and make that part of their, either their sales process or, or marketing funnel are going to see better returns on their investment of their time and resources than those that don't. Yeah. And I think uh, this is an overly simplified question coming your way and I know there's no answer. Um, but like, what, what does a seller do? Like my mind immediately goes to the, you know, poke the bear kind of, peak interest, get people thinking rather than just, you know, pitching and running them through your sales process. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, that's, that's it. I mean, you have to be, become a provocative seller. Like mm -hmm. provocation is a superpower for a seller or marketer to be doing nowadays. And provocation comes from limbic brain messaging, focusing on emotionally charging your messaging and picking a very clear enemy that your buyer can rally behind, that you can rally behind and attacking that enemy and making kind of an us versus them thing. And this is really effective. It's core psychology, stuff that before, it's like that didn't matter 10 or 20 years ago. It's just, you didn't need to know as much of it as you do now. Like you could be, like when I look at my emails that I used to send when I was a, a little wee SDR 12 years ago, that worked back then. That was acceptable. If I sent the exact same email today, it would not work. It'd be completely ineffective. It's just the bar keeps getting raised or maybe the tolerance of the buyers keeps going down. Their level of patience goes down. Their expectations are higher. So there's something about provocation, about um, creating artificial constraints for people to choose from. You know, the, the world is either this or that. Which side do you want to be on? And, and People seem to gravitate towards that kind of messaging. They gravitate towards strong opinions. Um, something gets emotionally charged. Yeah. The thing I really like about that is it aligns with marketing as well, right? Like it's, you're kind of describing like a strategic narrative type approach to sales, yes. right? Like the bad guy, us versus them. What's the big change in the world? 
So on the sales and marketing alignment side, like it's one thing for sellers to do that, but if marketing's not kind of beating the same drum and warming them up, you know, I think it makes sellers' lives way, way harder. It does. It does. If the message isn't the same, whether that's a cold email, an ad running on LinkedIn, the sales deck, all that sort of stuff needs to align. There needs to be a theme. Now, mm -hmm. each each thing I just listed has its own medium. So the medium changes how the message is wrapped or displayed or done. But the the theme of the message should be identical throughout. Whatever it is that you're picking as an enemy. And, and, and I've got an example of this because I've been a part of seven different startups that each of them was one of the first sales hires. So we had to figure this out. We were competing with Behemoth and every single one at Trinet. We were competing against ADP. At, at Connectify, we were competing against LinkedIn. Um, at Fullstory, we were competing against IBM like the big names and even with like a dominant player that has massive market share, we're still able to carve out our piece of the world by just being provocative, by just, again, picking at common enemy and creating the narrative around it of like, here's why, even though you have these options in the market, you're still not happy. You're still not solving what you wanted to solve. Here's a potential other path. Did you ever consider this? Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'll play devil's advocate, even though I agree with what you're saying, just to, you know, say what people might think, right? So I think some people would say, yeah, but if you go too provocative, it's not direct enough or concise enough. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but yeah, I'd love your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, are they, they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, you could, you could be, no. you could be direct and provocative. You could be provocative and not be direct. Like there's, there's absolutely combinations of the two. Um, when I think of provocative, I think about, again, making people, forcing people to pick a lane, forcing people to pick a lane. And, um, sometimes those two options aren't necessarily good versus evil kind of things. They could just be two different ways of thinking about a problem. So an example of this would be like, um, at full story where we used to sell session replay to, to product people mm -hmm. and also to their engineering teams as an add-on. We, we just told people very simply, you, you either want to know what's going on your website or you want a random sample. Now, if you want to be the people who do the random sampling, that's going to dictate a lot about what you see. If you're the sort of person that wants to see everything going on your website, aggregate that and then act upon it, that's a very different camp. You can't have both. You either go one way or the other, and which way you pick is going to determine the outcomes you get. Who are you? And, and we force people to into that kind of binary choice of A or B. And we found some people liked A and some people like B. I wasn't judgmental. I was like, look, I mean, if you want to be in camp A, which is not our camp, that's fine. But just, I got nothing for you. So you might as well hang up the phone now, wish you the best, good luck, and let me know how it goes. You've got my number of things changed. But if you are leaning towards camp B and you want to see how that's going to work, I guess something pretty interesting here. Yeah, and I think, so this ties to something I saw you post about a couple of weeks ago or something where, you know, you said it's not a seller's job to convince people to buy and that's kind of the same idea there right like you're presenting the options um i found that post funny because my very first sales interview um it was not in in SaaS. it was like selling for nestle which is a okay. bit different right yeah, yeah first interview you know holds up the pen sell me this pen oh god not yeah. that <laughs> yeah no exactly right so i, oh, I agree with your god. message but for those who you know maybe aren't that familiar with this what do you mean by it's not you know, a seller's job to talk people into buying things. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you put yourself in that situation where you're trying to persuade somebody else, just think about it in just even like normal circumstances, you're already at a disadvantage. You're, you're, you're making yeah. them play defense. You're on offense. You're trying to finagle 
and make this point and and they're not budging and they're going to start poking holes in it? Or what if you kind of did some reverse psychology, defended the status quo, defended why something that's wrong shouldn't be changed, and then kind of let them tell you, well, I don't think that. I actually do think there are problems. I know that my world isn't perfect to peachy, and I do think there's room for improvement. And you go, well, tell me more about that. Tell me why you think that. And um, a lot of this actually goes back to CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. This, like for me as a seller, I've done seven different sales trainings, Dustin. I've done the winning by design, Sandler and Challenger yeah. and all this good stuff. And all of them are great. All of them taught me really useful things. But the stuff that made the biggest impact in my sales career came from outside of traditional sales training. And one of them is my, my wife studies addiction studies. She's got a master's degree in it. And she opened my world to like cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's, we've been like, those researchers have been doing that for like 40, 50, 60 years. Like CBT has been around for a very long time. And it's the way we take somebody that has an addiction, getting them to acknowledge it, admit that they have a problem, commit to making change and then taking the steps necessary. And um, it's the same thing in, in buying and selling. Like when you're doing elite selling, you're aligning to people's desire for um, some aspirational goal that today they can't get to. And that's a much better position to be in than trying to tell them why they should have bigger aspirations. Like, again, if you're yeah. trying to persuade them that they that, that that's a very hard thing to do, time consuming thing to do. Well, yeah. And I think speaking of psychology there, like people don't like to be persuaded and have their mind changed in that right way, right? Like if you tell someone they're doing it wrong, they're just going to put the, dig their feet into the sand deeper, really fight you back and it sucks for the seller. It sucks for the buyer. Like it's just a negative experience kind of across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a waste of time because it ends up being yeah. a no decision status quo, you know, ghosted me type ending for the deal cycle. And you look back and you're like, wow, that's, you know, three weeks or three months or however long it took that I'd love to get back. And you can't because yeah. time is the one thing you can't recoup. For sure. Yeah. And I think I want to dive a little deeper into the psychology thing, just because my, my undergrad was in psych. It was something. Nice. I took it because it was interesting, right? Like, honestly, there's not many jobs with a psych degree, but it worked out. Like, it's useful in sales and marketing. But what are some other, you know, kind of principles that that you use when you're crafting your messaging there? Yeah, well, I, you know, I'll tell you what. I, I, I think a lot about, again, uh, limbic brain messaging. Like, words that we don't use in our daily language that's going to get people to snap awake and feel alert. And, of course, the FOMO, the fear of missing out. And the thing that people struggle with is great messaging is actually the absence of your product. We're cursed with knowledge. We get so obsessed about our product. Yeah. We think about it day in and day out. And so we're always thinking about benefits. So what do you gain? We had a customer achieve, you know, our companies that use our service were able to, things of that nature is pretty much plastered on any website that you look at. And it's like, well, it's actually the inverse. It's your, what, what you really want to be saying is, had this customer not bought us, they would have lost the chance to achieve. They would have missed out on. You will not be able to blank when you don't use blank. And that's really powerful messaging when you create that like kind of negative connotation to it, then absence of it. And we're just driven as human beings to avoid loss. We're, we're, we're risk averse by our nature. We don't want to make mistakes. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want things to go wrong. We don't want to miss out. We don't want to be the last ones out on anything. And that's deeply rooted in our psychology. But again, it's, it, it's one thing to say, it's another thing when you go pen to paper or, you know, like get on your keyboard to type that email or that, or that copy. 
because you're cursed with knowledge and you're obsessed with your product. So you're starting on it like a, a non-level playing field with your buyer already. And you got to bring yourself back down, kind of like remove all that knowledge that you have in your head or park it to the side. That's very challenging for us to do. Yeah, I mean, one little, I've run into that a bunch. So like one little trick I do there, even if you don't have, you know, a friend, colleague, someone who is your buyer, who you could run the messaging by is, I actually just asked my wife, does this make sense? She's a nurse. So she knows a whole mm -hmm. lot of stuff I don't, but she's not a marketing or salesperson. That's perfect. If, if I send her something and she's like, I have no clue what the hell this word is. Like, what is this acronym? It's gone. <laughs> so I think that's, you know, little tricks like that I find help. And also just reading your message out loud. Like if it sounds like, sounds like you wrote it, it might not work. If it sounds like conversational, something you're saying, you're probably closer to the right track. So yeah, that's more on the yeah. marketing side, but those have helped me for sure. Oh yeah. I'm with you. Like whenever I'm doing like a messaging teardown or something like that, I go straight to the review sites. And if that company doesn't have reviews, I'll go to their competitors. Somebody's got a review in the space, right? Like somebody's yeah. sold this product before. And I just read that review. And, and if it says something that they loved, I go, okay, so what did they hate? Yeah. That, that thing that they now love, like superseded or took over or allowed them to do. And I'll start there. So again, I'm always inversing. And I remind myself constantly of uh, one of the greatest ads in history, which is the Got Milk ad. And, and, you know, it's an ad about the absence of the product, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's the, the, the classic cookie monster sitting in front of a pile of cookies with an empty glass of milk and he's sitting there slumped frowning and it's like got milk. And I'm like, brilliant. It's the absence of the product. <laughs> and yet it's the, one of the most effective ads ever done. A hundred percent. I like that, you know, looking at the message and inverting it. Um, so, you know, we, we don't use gong, we use wingman, but similar type tools where you can listen to sales calls. And a lot of the time sales or customer success calls, they frame it in the positive, like I'm looking to achieve X. So I think that's a really useful tip for people who are listening to those calls to, like you said, figure out what the inverse is and what they're potentially missing out on. Um, I'm going to steal that one as I redo website copy. So for the listeners, like I, I do think that's a really important one. Yeah. And it's hard. It's not natural. So don't feel yeah. like upset with yourself if you're doing it and it's not quite working right. We are naturally inclined to be self-centered, to be egocentric, to think about the world from our perspective, from our product, from whatever it is that we're doing. And in order to do this, you have to step out of that. You have to actually mm -hmm. like be very premeditated, very concentrated to step out of that mindset and say to yourself, okay, if I didn't have this, why, why is that a problem? And, yep. and, and, and essentially what, what harm am I being led to by not having this thing, whatever it is, it's a product or a service. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, I assume that gets way easier with time though, as you practice that and you do it a whole bunch. It gets, it gets easier, but I'll tell you what, I was just recently had a go to market for GTM buddy. And, um, I was funny. I'm, I'm, I was writing the cops for the website. And I was like, God, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but <laughs> I'm still just gravitating towards the same kind of generic messaging that I know won't work. And yet every time I look up, I've typed that generic messaging again and again. So it, that's yeah. why outside perspective really does help. Like you have your wife, like it, that, that really makes a huge difference because um, the analogy I give is like, if you're in an airplane, Right. And, and the pilots of that airplane typically have tens of thousands of hours of training to do what they do. No matter what airport you land at in the world, that airplane for just a brief moment, the full control of it's given to some person on the ground with some glow sticks. 
<laughs> and that person with glow sticks has maybe a couple dozen hours of training. And yet yeah. this person with all their knowledge and all their experience listens to that person with glow sticks when they say left, right, stop. Why? Perspective. Because that person with glow sticks can see the whole plane and the pilot sitting in it and can't. So like, that's the power of perspective. Like, you might know everything, but it still helps to talk to somebody, especially if that person maybe doesn't know as much as you do. It gives them a lot of perspective. Exactly. Yeah. Like I'm, I worked at a company where, you know, instead of calling rabbit hole on a meeting, like when you go off topic, we would just call marketing speak. If someone pitched a copy idea and, you know, God forbid the word synergy or something was included <laughs> in it. Yeah. Like it was just a and, BS call out, right? Like, nope, marketing <laughs> speak, get rid of it. Well, yeah, yeah, it's deadly. It's deadly. Um, so I, I do want to switch gears a bit, like, you know, the the general economy, you know, it's it's different right now. It's especially in tech, it's kind of crazy out there. So Yeah. Like what what advice would you give for sellers and marketers there? Because I think now more than ever, you know, budgets cut, resources cut, you kinda of have to do more with less. Um for our listeners, you know, it's October twenty twenty two, if you're listening back to this, but yeah, I would love your thoughts on maybe what needs to change in this time. Well, I'm going to start with something maybe a little bit unorthodox. So for, forgive me for this, but like, you know, it's not your fault if you if your company did a bad job planning capacity, setting unrealistic expectations at the start of the year, and now all of a sudden you have to be some wizard and come up with you know essentially magic to make things work. Um, and you're not crazy for thinking that stuff is wrong. Um, you know, there's sellers out there right now that have quotas that on a good good year, they they wouldn't even hit, let alone a year like this. You know, there's marketers out there with expectations put on their back to solve a mountain of problems, and it's just not realistic for any human to do so. And they've got an economic downturn potentially, um, you know, to, to deal with. So there's a bit of that. And I think it's it's good just to accept that, like, some of that's just not your fault. It's, you know, it's not your fault it is your problem, but you're not crazy for thinking it's wrong. You're not crazy for thinking some of the expectations were wildly off to begin with. Mm-hmm. Now you still got to deal with it all the same. And what I really would recommend is go back to like basic human instinct. Okay. Basic human instinct right now is to kind of play defense. All right. Mm-hmm. So if your messaging is not aligning to that and you're asking people to play offense in a time when everybody's thinking defensively, it's probably not going to resonate. It's yeah. probably not going to resonate. So you really got to make a shift to say to yourself, can I in any way, shape or form realign this message to somebody who's thinking defensively, who's thinking really risk averse, who's thinking the last thing I want to do right now is make a big mistake because that's mud on my face. I'm going to be the one holding, you know, the bag at the end of that. And it's going to be my head on the chopping block potentially if the mistake is big enough. So that is really core at this moment in time to like double down on and align your message to that kind of mindset. And if you can even use the, that kind of language in your messaging, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with like putting the elephant, like just talking about the elephant in the room yeah. and just sounding informed. Like I know now is a great time to play defense and not make mistakes, make every single dollar count. Mm-hmm. Where do you see that being the best place to do so right now? Because anything that can protect margins that you've already established is a good thing. You're going to be heralded for that because you're playing defense. For sure. Yeah. And I think a good kind of marketing example of a company that did that well recently was metadata. Like they mm-hmm. were very much, you know, drive revenue, drive revenue, drive revenue, and then realized, okay, we need to focus on efficiency. And that is our messaging and, you know, getting more with less and 
really made that switch, which is interesting. I think larger companies might struggle with that, though. You know, changing messaging at a large company and pivoting. Um, oh, yeah. Almost impossible. Like, just the red tape you have to go through to do it. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, for smaller companies, for sure, like, you, you've got to... You've got to make a shift right now and you've got to go back to, again, human, basic human instinct. And uh, like I, I prefer Tony Robbins' um, Six Human Needs because the guy has like uh, data from literally millions of people um, yeah. that he's worked with over time. So it's very well validated. And I look at those six human needs. I'm like, where can a product align to this for the ideal persona at the companies that we sell to? Which human need are they thinking about right now? Can we align our messaging to one of those human needs? So if it's like a desire of being wanted at this sort of moment, you know, to feel important in this economic downturn that they can play a commercial strategic role in the company, what in our product feature set messaging can we align to that human need right now? That's a great way to approach this. And again, knowing that they're playing defense, tell them, hey, I know you're probably thinking about this right now. Here's a great way to do so. For sure. No, I think that's good advice. And I like how you started with, um, you know, just kind of acknowledging the situation a little bit. And I'm curious on your thoughts on this because, you know, obviously this isn't great for salespeople's or marketing people's mental health, right? It's, it's stressful. You still have these crazy quotas and targets. And so let's say you're leading sales at a company, you're getting all that pressure on, you know, let's hit this unachievable goal. What do you do there? Like, what do you do to help the people? I talked to Todd Caboni about this, um, the author of uh, The Transparency Sale, and I asked him this exact question because I didn't know myself. I was like, <laughs> Todd, what do we do right now? Uh, yeah. how, how do you manage this? He shared with me an interesting story, and I'll share it with your listeners. And it's in, his, it's in his new book. He wrote a book about transparency management. Um, and there's a lot of psychology research that he's done on this. And the story he shares is um, in Japan for death row inmates, one of the things that they do is they don't tell them the date of, their, of, of when they're going to be executed. Okay. And um, the death row inmates in Japan were actually able to sue the government and win in the Supreme Court that not telling them the date of their death was inhumane. So it was more inhumane treatment to not tell them the date of their death than it was to put them on death row because the uncertainty was like a stressful killer, like un unreasonable, undue stress for those inmates. And it's the same thing with us. Like when we're dealing with uncertainty, um, the stats are in that our IQ literally drops percentage points while we feel that stress and uncertainty. We're unable to focus. We are unable to stay motivated. We're more likely to suffer from mental health issues, maybe depression and things of that nature. So even if the news is bad, you it's better to be um, transparent about it and give somebody bad news than to be non-transparent about it. And it's the same thing, like I totally got it when he was describing because I'm like, it's the same thing for me when I go to a doctor and they tell me what's wrong with me. Even if what they told me was wrong for me is severe, I'm just glad that I know what it is now because now there's a chance yeah. to treat it. But if I go to the doctor, they go, I have no clue what's wrong with you. I freak out even more because I'm like, if you don't know who's going to know, like somebody better figure this out. Like I, I got to know what's going on. So in the same way, if you're a sales leader, a, a VP of marketing, a marketing leader right now, and you've got a team and things are not going well, it's better to actually be transparent about that and say, look, we're, we're not going to hit goal. Mm -hmm. Okay. The numbers, it's math. The numbers don't add up. That's okay. Now we need to make do with what we, what we have. And that's, that's an easier pill to swallow than if you tried to hide that and cause more stress 
with uncertainty. Yeah, for sure. And I think the probably the hardest part I would think for sales leaders and managing up there and talking to the rest of the exec team and, you know, flatly laying out the scenario because let's say company X just took 400 mil in funding and they expect to grow at this rate and, you know, it's just not going to happen now. How do you convince them that there's this new reality? And that can be tough. Like, it's just a difficult conversation. It is. It is. And, and the numbers don't lie. And yeah. the thing about sales and marketing is, is it's very clearly number driven, whether it's funnel metrics or pipeline metrics and things of that nature. And it's, it's very easy to tell people based on historical data, based on where we are right now, we're, we're not going to hit plan. Now there's either one or two options. Either we panic, burn everything to the ground and hope to God yeah. that's going to solve things, which we all know it's not. Or we say, okay, look, this is the situation. What's the best case scenario we can make out of it? And that sort of pragmatic leadership People gravitate towards that because in times of uncertainty, in times of risk, we gravitate to, to stability. So the best thing you can do when managing up um, as a sales leader or marketing leader is to provide stability. Is to show that, look, we might miss, but but at least we can do it in a calm, reasonable fashion. You know, let's do a soft landing instead of a hard landing and just blow up. Yeah. Like we can still bring this to a reasonable point, but I need you to know again, transparency what what we've set out is not going to be accomplished. The map just isn't there. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with the numbers, right? And I I think the companies, maybe I'm biased because, you know, I'm in a revenue role where it's marketing and sales, but I think the companies that are more aligned there and realized, you know, now's the time to maybe not spend more, but do more in marketing and build up that demand for 2023 when hopefully things get back to normal. I think those are the ones that are going to do well and rather than the ones who just pull everything back and, you know, basically hide in a bunker and try to wait this out. That's a tough call to make though. Like, you know, let's create more stuff. Let's play the long game. But I think those are the ones that are really going to come out of this better. It is. It is hard to do, but um, it's like you said, like the sun will rise, you know, yeah. there will be a point where this comes out. Do you want it with half the team and a third of the budget? Or would you rather be in a position where you're able to stabilize things somewhat? Yes, of course, some things need to be dialed back but you don't lose all momentum to the extent where you're almost at a restart when things come back to normal. That's, that's the worst position to be in. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, you know, getting off the treadmill and then trying to hop on while it's going full speed and catching up to people. Not going to happen. Cool. And then I want to ask, you know, one last, last question, I guess, to, you know, we went a little, I won't say sad there, but realistic, right? Like a little <laughs> pessimistic. Uh, so to bring it out, like, what are you, what are you looking forward to in the new year? Like, what are you really excited about? Well, I, I'm, I'm really, I think first off, one of the things that's a growing trend right now in sales is actually, um, um, AI writing messaging. And it's surprisingly pretty good. Like, uh, if you were going to rate emails on a scale of one to 10, um, 10 being like the Mona Lisa of emails and one being like complete garbage, most people typically write on average at a three or four maybe a five at the most this, these, these like email tools can write already at like a three level, four level, right out the gate. And the more data they get, the more the, the algorithms can be trained better and so on. We're going to see that jump up to a five or a six. Now the, the thing about it, Dustin is like the difference between like a really good email and a great email is marginal. The difference between yeah. a really bad email and a good email is exponential. Right. Yeah. So like the gains diminish over time, but those early gains are the best. Mm -hmm. So I don't think people need to, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Cause I, I don't think 
these tools are going to go away anytime soon. I think they're going to keep getting better. And then the question becomes, well, where does the human element come in? And that's things like video, that's things like personalization, that's things like putting a face to the name because at the end of the day, people still like to buy from people. We, we, we sometimes really do need to talk to somebody and, um, the companies that realize that and start building their, the revenue teams and just sort of like subject matter experts that aren't, that aren't there again, to, to hard sell, but just to provide context about the industry space and software that they live and breathe. Those are the ones that are going to win. So, and, and, and my experience, elite sellers already do this kind of intuitively. They're very forward with bringing up competition. They're very forward with, with bringing up information that a buyer didn't ask for because they're like, I do this all day. You don't. So let me handle this part. Let me elevate the conversation for you. Yeah, that's an interesting point on AI. Like I think I saw yesterday, the day before Jasper AI raised some ridiculous yep. amount of money, 120 million Huge. or something. And yeah. I remember I was in their beta when they first started and like, it was pretty good. And then now just how quickly it got better. Yeah. It's a little creepy thinking about the robots writing messages, but it is what it is, right? It's not going to stop. So get on yeah. board with it. Don't, don't swim against the current. That's been my experience working at startups. I'm not one to swim against the current. I will go with it. And now it's yeah. the question of, okay, now what can I add to that? You know, and if I could put a face to the name, people will still buy because they see me, even though it's not my words. They still want to know that a human was somewhere involved in that. And I'll play that part. Yeah. And I think the, like one last point here, I think the subject matter expert part is huge because, you know, there, there's people on LinkedIn like yourself, right? Who are subject matter experts on particular topics. Makes your life a lot easier to sell. You know, if you, even if it's a marketer, uh, like up next on this, I have Nick Bennett, for example, he's the next guest on nice. the podcast. If he DMs someone and says, Hey, let's talk about Alice and it's a marketer, probably going to take the call. They so will. there's so much value in that you know, personal brand. I know some people hate that word, but just sharing your thoughts and building in public. Oh yeah. There's such, and you know what it comes down to is that people that do the personal branding or are experts in that, what they do is they, they amalgamate information that you, that you yeah. would suffer to sift through, you know, that you would suffer to try to figure out on your own. And, and in today's world, that sort of like aggregation is, is one of the most, is, is the superpower nowadays. Because there's yeah. so much information out there. It's so easy to get misled. It's so easy to um, get distracted and, and, and think you're reading something that is important and find out later that it's not or not as relevant as you thought it was. Yeah. And um, that's, that's going to be the future is like B2B companies understand that and start embracing that aspect. And again, having their frontline people behave that way, it's mm -hmm. going to attract buyers because buyers right now are just overloaded overloaded. And that's why indecision, according to Matt Dixon, going back full circle to where we started, is probably going to grow as a reason why people don't buy. Yeah, no, 100%. I know my my inbox, having just started a new job is overloaded with the same message. So tying that back to provocative messaging and just, you know, breaking through that noise is super important. Um, well, I, I definitely learned a few things I'm going to borrow from here. If our listeners want to learn more, you know, connect with you, where do they go? I'm on LinkedIn, so you can you can find me on LinkedIn. I've got a newsletter, deathtofluff.substack.com. You can sign up there. Um, those are two places where I'm at. Feel free to message me. I was open. DMs are cool. open. Yeah, I'll throw those in the uh, episode description. Thank you, man. I enjoyed the conversation. It was fun. Likewise. Thank you, Dustin. Yeah. All right. Take care.